On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with a survivor named Brenda, and Brenda was in a four-year relationship with a loose cannon of a narcissist. It's a story of victim playing, control, the consequences of couples therapy, and overcoming the fear of leaving. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of toxic relationships. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thanks for tuning into this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. And now, before we get to our episode with Brenda, I just first want to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, a reminder... If you haven't left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, etc., please leave us a five-star review as it helps out the show a lot when it comes to rankings. Now, if you have not been to our website recently, please do go there if you want to be part of our show. Go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, it says guest form. Something along those lines or like fill out guest form. Click on it. It'll take you to a page of a guest form. Fill that out, and away we will go. We will start a little dialogue from there. But also, if you want to be on our show, you can go to NarcissistApocalypse.com and be part of our Letters to Our Narcissist compilation episode. And for that, on the side of the page, there's a floating button that says Send Voicemail. When you click on that button, you can record up to five minutes. If you need 10 minutes, click it twice. 15 minutes, click it three times. Yes, we are accumulating more of those letters for a volume five of that episode. And if you don't want to read the letter yourself, send me or my old pal, Melissa, a voice, uh, not a voicemail, a, a regular email for us to read your letter on the show. Go to NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. That is where you should send it and put letters to my narcissist in the subject line. I'm having trouble talking today, everyone. Can you tell? Now, other things you can find on our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. We are now offering high-conflict parenting courses that can be found at NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. Yes, we have now partnered with online parenting, and many of our courses we're offering were created by Bill Eddy. And if you listened to our episode last year with a divorce lawyer named Helen, you'll know that Bill Eddy is an expert in dealing with these individuals in court, and he's now helped create many parenting courses to help you through divorce and to help support your children too. These courses are the most widely recognized courses by family courts across the country. So if you want to support the show and are looking for guidance, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. What else do I have for you to hear today? Our Patreon. Yes, we have a Patreon, everyone. Last week, I think I uploaded three 
three episodes that have never been heard before. And this week, I think maybe, I forget when I'm adding this week, but I have something ready to go later on in the week. It's a surprise. And anyway, if you want to hear episodes that never made it to air, follow up episodes with former guests and much, much more. Join our Patreon. We'll be releasing new content on there every week. So to help support the show, become a patron of our Patreon at patreon.com slash narcissist apocalypse. What else before we go? Before we go, um, I watched, uh, what did I watch yesterday? I watched, for my first time, I watched the movie, ah, I'm having a, uh, my brain. I watched the movie Fifty Shades of Grey, everyone. And I will be making a YouTube video, a comedic YouTube video about it, but one that points out the abuse that kind of happens in, in the movie. I had seen the film Fifty Shades free before that because it was on Netflix. I think it was on Netflix. And I was like, oh, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen that was actually in a movie theater at one time. Because there's a lot of those movies that are really bad but never were in the theater, but Fifty Shades Free was really bad, and I was meaning to watch Fifty Shades of Grey for a very long time so I could make a, a comedic you know, YouTube video about it like I've done with Twilight, uh, how I did with Legally Blonde. And so I've been uh, writing up a little script for it, and uh, you know, it's a lot of work. You know, I thought I was going to be really quick, <laughs> but, you know, I took a lot of notes while watching uh, the movie minute by minute. So hopefully I'll have that out this week after I do this uh, editing. I'm going to get back to doing work on that. And for those of you who uh, haven't received an email back from me, I'm still getting, I'm a little behind my emails, but I've also sent some emails to people and I haven't heard back. So please do check your junk mail. Uh, you might be. You might have gotten an email back from me, and, you, and it was in your junk mail the whole entire time. So please don't curse my name. I probably be cursing my name, but anyway. Uh, before we get started with the show today, just a little bit of a warning: we do discuss uh, physical and sexual abuse in this episode, and there are moments when uh, Brenda uses language that was said to her by her ex. So in two or three spots, you'll notice that uh, langu- there's, I've removed language by lowering the volume to zero. And that is because I don't want anyone to get triggered uh, more than they usually might get triggered by listening to the show. Because obviously a lot of you will get triggered by, triggered by listening to the show. But in this instance, I just wanted to be extra careful. And it was a judgment call. So you'll notice that there are a couple of spots just because the language was harsher than usual and that's it i'm now gonna get out of my way here is my conversation with brenda welcome to narcissist apocalypse everyone with me today i have brenda how are you I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Now, today we have the Brandon and, and Brenda combination. It's like 90210 in here. And <laughs> um, I'm now just going to get out of my way and your way, Brenda. The floor is now 
be yours. Okay, thank you. Um, so I met my my ex narcissist about four years ago. Um, it was an immediate attraction. Um, my background is I was married for about sixteen years and had two children and after being married that long and being married that young, it kinda I just felt like I was needing more and I was contemplating leaving my husband. I wasn't very happy. Things had changed and I felt like we were growing apart. Um, and I met, I met my ex through a mutual friend. Actually, my husband and I met him the same day. And for the first time ever, I was like, I just noticed him. He, the way he talked, his eyes, he had tattoos and that was kind of it. We chit chatted a little bit through the course of the weekend and um, he was talking to me about his girlfriend and the type of work she did. And I actually suggested a few places for her to apply at. And then the next day when my husband and I had saw him again, he had told me that his girlfriend had broken up with him out of the blue. Um, now I had met him at a sporting event. So, you know, playing that particular sport, you're always looking for more players. And uh, I ended up grabbing his contact information and added him on Facebook. Um, checked in with him a little bit to see how he was doing, feeling kind of bad that his girlfriend had just broke up with him and stuff like that. And that's kind of how it all started. Um, he He was... I guess playing victim maybe a little more than what he was at the time. I don't really know the extent, but knowing now the types of people that these people are, he definitely played it up because I was coming out of a situation where, you know, being married that long and I guess somewhat becoming financially dependent on my husband, this person kind of gave me an outlet to talk to. And um, he was really, really good actually at listening to all my complaints about my marriage and that's kind of just where it began um so we started spending some time together communicating and every day it was like oh good morning beautiful every night like constant texting all day stuff like that and then i decided on new year's eve four years ago to tell my husband that i wanted out of our marriage and it took from January till about, I'm going to say the end of February, because my ex-husband and I couldn't really agree on terms of our separation and stuff, and I couldn't afford to keep the mortgage. Um, I actually, talking to my ex-NARC, he suggested that I move in with him and that, you know, I wouldn't have to worry financially and stuff like that. So that's kind of where I moved in already quite quickly and stuff. How long was um, it when you moved in? Uh, it was, so him and I met in about September, close to the end of September, October. And January, I left my husband. And by February, I was I hadn't fully moved all my belongings in, but I was there practically all the time, right? Wanting out of my marriage and not having the financial means to get my own place and stuff, we just started spending more and more time together at his place. And and how uh, much of an acceleration of 
the divorce proceedings occurred because of the relationship, uh, uh, I guess, starting in, in a sense. Uh, and would have it would would it have taken you a little bit longer to work up to the getting divorced? It might have been a further bit down the line, but it would have happened anyway. Uh, was it just accelerated because of this? And I guess the promise of of um, having some place, having some financial security uh, to break away. Yeah. So the thing was, is that initially before telling my husband I wanted out, I had asked to go to counseling. And at that time he said to me, I don't think counseling is going to help. When he, when he became aware that I was serious on new year's, when I said I'm done and I want out and he knew that, you know, there was somebody else, obviously, because I was staying away more. Then it was like, okay, well, maybe we should go to counseling. But by that point, my relationship had already started to form and grow with this new person. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made it it made it easier for me to know that I had somewhere to go per se. That there was somebody else kind of waiting because I, for me, anyways, I feel like. I was always scared of being alone and then financially being alone was another big problem for me. So it just kind of divorce proceedings actually just started. So, um, but me moving on and, you know, not willing to give my ex-husband the chance to fix it probably wouldn't have happened if this person wouldn't have been in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if the person also, because during this time, the person was very, Every complaint that I had, it was like, oh, that's understandable, and you were married young, and you haven't been able to focus on yourself, and you don't know who you are, and your husband should be more respectful. Like, he was so sympathetic to, you know, the mom that was just tired of life and the everyday tasks, the things you do when you're married, right? Mm -hmm. He just, he made me feel like, almost like I was confused as to who I didn't who I was because of my marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, So things progressed. And I mean, so like I said, in February, we were practically living together. My stuff wasn't in his place, but I was there all the time. Uh, We went to another sporting event. And because of me coming out of the marriage and stuff like that, people had saw you know, my narc and I together, but they didn't know that we were together. I mean, they probably assumed, but I wasn't posting on Facebook because I was kind of ashamed that I had just come out of this marriage. Mm -hmm. So we went to a sporting event together and the narc was playing on a different team and I was playing on a different team and we were hanging around a common area, you know, having a few drinks and stuff. And I looked up and I saw him grab this girl with his hand, you know, both sides of her jaw, and he pulled her in and he gave her a kiss. And I I didn't say anything around anybody, but he started to walk away from that common area. And I went up to him and I'm like, what was that? And he downplayed it. Oh, it was nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. I gave her a kiss no different than I'd give my brother or sister a kiss. Like, you're overreacting, you know. And, I mean, the girl was half my age, half my size, you know, like this tiny little thing. And so then he said to me, he's like, I'm tired of being your dirty little secret. And that's kind of the way he spun it on me on that 
in that situation. And then, of course, I felt guilty. I uh, ended up going out with some friends that night, and he was blowing up my phone, calling me, showed up where I was with my friends, and I just, that particular in- incident, I was like, wow, that's crazy. I don't want no part of that. You know, I'm done with him. Even back then, as early as, you know, three months in knowing each other. So I ended up accepting his phone call uh, that particular Sunday morning and ended up going back to his place. And I actually ended up apologizing to him Mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, overreacting and for him because he had told me that he felt like my dirty little secret. It was like, oh, okay, well, it's my fault then. I caused that. You know, if I wouldn't have kept him in the secret, he wouldn't have kissed that other girl. And so I ended up apologizing to him. And that's, I mean, looking back now, it's easy to see that it was a manipulation thing. But back then it was like, now I'm scared And um, about two weeks later, I found out that he had been messaging his ex-girlfriend and was like, hey, how's it going? Hope you're doing well. And when I asked him about it, he claimed he didn't know who the number was because he worked in sales and knew a lot of people and talked to a lot of people. And so later on, I, I remembered that number. And later on, I actually called that number and found out that it was his ex-girlfriend. So even back then, all this stuff kind of was unfolding. Uh, When we met, I didn't really know a lot about his past. It wasn't until we were a little deeper in our relationship that I started learning that he came from an abusive home. His mom was physically abusive, sexually abusive with him. Uh, He had been sexually abused by other people. His mom was only 15 when she had him and had gone on to have two more kids shortly after. And because of my childhood, I felt sympathy because I didn't have a super traumatic childhood, but I did witness some violence and I suffered from sexual abuse. Uh, He was really, really good at telling me you know, during the beginning that um, he doesn't get he doesn't get the pretty girls. And if I wouldn't have pursued him, he wouldn't have even talked to me because he doesn't talk to pretty girls, stuff like that. And then there was one couple months later, I'd say we had gone out to a sporting event and got into a great big argument and he got really angry with me in the truck and started yelling and screaming at me and slammed on the brakes so hard and pulled over on the side of the road so hard that my seatbelt locked up and I thought I was so scared that we were going to roll and he just kept telling me yelling and screaming at me shut up don't say another word till we get home I don't want to hear about it anymore stuff like that. So then we got on the way home. I sat for probably a couple hours and just cried silently and then ended up falling asleep. And when I was crying, he looked at me and said, when we get home, I want you to leave. I don't want you at my house anymore. So when we got home, I went to the door and it was locked and I ended up going around to the other door to grab my stuff because I was 
scared, obviously, and I was angry, and I wanted to get my stuff then if that's what he wanted. So I started gathering up my belongings, and he was like, stop, I don't want you to go. And I was like, no, like, you know, I'm going to leave. You wanted me to leave, I'm going to leave. What's changed in the last couple hours? I mean, I thought you were going to kill me a couple hours ago on the side of the road. And he got angry with me and grabbed the little bit of belongings that I had at his house and kicked them off his front steps, yelling and screaming at me in the middle of the neighborhood. It happened to be pouring rain out that day, so I went and I was picking up my belongings and I had tears coming down my face. People were driving by. He was sitting in the house on his phone playing games the whole time, not even concerned with, you know, what I was doing or how I was feeling or nothing. So I packed up my stuff into my SUV and I called my ex-husband and I said, I don't know what to do. I said, he just threw all my stuff because we, my ex-husband and I, even though we had separated, we were still somewhat amicable. We were still talking a little bit. And my ex-husband said to me, he goes, I don't know why you would allow him to treat you like that. That's not normal. And so I sat in my car and I cried for a few hours and I ended up going back because, again, I felt like I had nowhere to go. I'm not super close with my family and stuff. So I ended up going back and he never apologized at all. He didn't help me unpack anything or anything like that. And uh, then a couple months after that, we were arguing one time and we went to Starbucks and I had a $20 bill in my pocket and he went to go pay with debit. And I said, Oh, here, I said, here's 20 bucks. Just let me pay. You know, like I financially, I didn't make what he did, but I contributed in other ways. And that to me was just a kind gesture rather than using your debit card. Here's a $20 bill. And, uh, he got angry at me and actually grabbed the $20 bill from my hand and threw it out the window in the middle of the drive through and said, I don't need your effing money. Of course, that provoked me, and then I started crying, and I said to him as we were driving, I'm like, what What did you think was going to happen when you threw my $20 bill out? Like, that's just supposed to make me so happy. I said, that's the most disrespectful thing somebody has ever done to me. And um, he got so angry, he stopped his truck in the middle of the intersection, threw it in park, and jumped out and left me sitting in the middle of the road. So... I followed him and I said, get in your truck, you know, and he was like, I'm walking home. He ended up getting so angry with me that he threw his phone in the direction of the truck and then it started raining. So by the time I got to him when it was raining, I'm like, can you please just get in your truck? I said, this is your truck. If you don't get in, I'm just going to leave it here. Like, why are you being like this? So he jumped in the passenger side. And I said to him, I said, like, you're going to throw your phone at me because you're angry? You're going to take my $20 bill and throw it out the window? What the hell? And he got angry with me and punched the front windshield in his truck and said, it's my shit. If I want to smash it, I will. Again, another, just a small red flag that I, you know, well, he didn't hit me. I justified it with he didn't hit me. If he hits me, I'll leave. So it, it was just those little red flags, you know, um, angry one time he threw a cough. I went to walk out of the bedroom door and he threw a coffee at me as I like a Starbucks coffee at me. As I walked out the door, it went down my back all over the wall. He didn't clean it up. I was the one scrubbing the carpet and everything. And I 
was like, why would you throw your coffee at me? I didn't throw it at you. I threw it in your direction. Oh, my God, you're dramatic. You know, um, just so smooth with things like that. And, and because of his past and because of him being abused and stuff like that, I was like, he just doesn't understand love. I just need to love him a little more, you know, because he had always told me that he didn't want to be alone. He didn't want to be alone, but he was content being alone because he had only dated a girl for three months before me. Other than that, he was single for seven years prior. But as time went on, I started learning more. Um, And as time went on, it got to the point where he actually convinced me to put a tracking app on my phone. So he could see where I was at all times. And I, at first, was kind of like, okay, well, it might ease my insecurities, you know. And then later realized that it was for him. It was my insecurities were never, ever over the top like that because he literally would be at work and he would send me a screenshot of my location and be like, where are you? What are you doing here? You're supposed to be at work. So what was his, um, I guess, reasoning for putting that app on your phone? Because if we had an app on, because it, it was also on my phone and his phone, but if we shared the app, then it would ease my insecurities. Okay. Then I would know where he was at at all times. Okay. So that's how he spun um, it. It was... So he was, so he was, that, he was feigning or, you know, he was faking concern for your mental well-being. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. He was. So as time went on, um, you know, there was more and more things like I, I honestly cannot even describe how crazy making it got to the point that I just was, honestly, I was suicidal. There was two times throughout the course of our four-year relationship where just plant, he would plant the seeds of doubt in me. Um, you know, I'm over the top with my insecurities. I'm jealous. And it was like he would he would completely gaslight me. We would be somewhere and he would see a pretty girl and he'd make a comment or something to that effect. And then it would be like... Oh my God, you're so crazy. Nobody, I don't understand how anybody can have insecurities like you. You're deliberately looking for things because I got to that point where I did start looking. It was like, I need to check his cell phone. Like, I think something's going on, you know? Um, He would, he had odd behaviors. Like he would come home and he would sit in his truck in the driveway and be on his phone for like an hour after work and wouldn't come into the house. And I would say to him, you know, that makes me feel like you're hiding something. I mean, people that have nothing to hide, hide nothing. And it was like, oh, I'm talking to my boss or I'm talking to a customer or, and it was almost daily. Uh, He got to the point in the beginning when we had first started and, you know, you joke around a lot with people and stuff like that because I'm a, I'm very, very, opinionated on on a lot of things not just with relationships with but with a lot of things and he actually would tell his child oh little hitler like he 
he would refer to me as Hitler and refer to my other daughter as little Hitler. He would call me the redheaded devil, you know, and, and laugh it off. And then I would say to, you know, his daughter, oh, no eating in the bedroom. And he would agree with that. But if him and I were fighting, then it was, oh, you can eat in your bedroom. So it was on again, off again for four years. And during one of the separations and he had called me and told me he was going to anger management. He loved me. He couldn't do anger management without me. He wanted me in his life. And I hadn't really talked to him a whole lot during this time. I was trying to keep my distance because obviously I felt that I needed to leave, but I still loved him. And uh, the one day we actually spent some time together and I just said to him, I said, you're abusive to me. Like, do you realize that you do this and this is what abuse is? And he didn't say anything. And then it was a couple of days later, he called me and he goes, you know, he goes, you're right. He goes, I am abusive. I am abusive. I'm no different than my mom and I'm no different than my dad. And I want to get help for that. And I've decided to go to anger management and, you know, I love you and I want you in my life. And I said, well, you know, I said, honestly, I said, with the time that we've had between us, I said, I don't know what day is going to be the day that I'm just going to say, I don't want this anymore. So that particular day he showed up to where I was staying with the ring and it was, he's like, it's just a promise ring. I just want you to know how serious I am, how much I love you. And I was like, wow, he's really changing, you know, cause he had always bought me gifts and stuff like that. But I don't know. I just, he must be serious. What kind of a man would kind of chase a woman around after she's left? and do all these things to make himself better. I think he finally gets it. So I spent a little more time talking. You know, we'd send YouTube links to each other about relationships and all these great big discussions, and he'd break it down for me and be like, oh, this part of the video I really agree with, and we, we were talking. And uh, I decided to go back, and things were good for... Oh, I don't know, four months, four months, things were really, really good. Um, and then things started happening again. I um, was looking because he had a company truck and a personal truck. And one day I went to, because I drove his personal truck. So one day I went into his company truck to grab something because we had been in that the night before. And I went in. First thing in the morning, five o'clock, opened up the console and I noticed this thing in there and I'm so oblivious when it comes to electronics. So I picked it up and I was looking at it and I was like, well, you know, one, once upon a time he told me he'd put a voice recorder in my truck if he thought anything was going on or he'd put cameras in the house or a tracking device on my phone. So I actually Googled this the information that was on this device and it was a voice recorder. So I, you know, was like, what the hell is this? I started freaking out. Like, why is it in his truck? And was he planning on using this? And why is he doing this? Like I literally go to work. I come home. There's nothing to hide. And, um, found out that, yeah, it was a voice recorder. He had purchased it. 
The receipt was in his wallet. It was on his personal credit card. And I didn't say nothing to him because at that point, we had been back together for three or four months and we were going to therapy. So I wasn't going to say nothing to him. I needed to, I needed, I felt I needed to confront him in front of the therapist because he always had a way of working his way out of these things. So I gathered all the information, looked at the date and the timestamp on the receipt. It made sense that he purchased it a few minutes away from our home. It was in the afternoon. So we're driving down to counseling that day, and I pretend that I'm going to open the console looking for chapstick. And I said, oh, what's this? And he says, oh, it's a voice recorder. I said, oh, when did you get that? And he says, oh, my boss bought it for me. I said, what do you mean? Oh, well, you know, he just wants us to record all of our meetings now when we go in and stuff. And I, in the back of my mind, I'm rolling through, why would the receipt be in your wallet? Why would the receipt have your credit card number? Why would the receipt have this time and date? So we get into the counseling session and we're communicating with this counselor and he brought up something about me telling the truth. And I was so angry and I just looked at him and I looked at the counselor. I said, while we're on speaking about the truth, I said, how about you explain that voice recorder in your truck? And he looked at me and he goes, I told you, my boss bought it for me. Why don't this is what you do. You pick holes in the story until it benefits you. And I looked at the counselor and I said, I found a voice recorder in his truck. And I said, he'd previously told me he was going to put one in my vehicle. He's told me he'd put cameras in there. I said, I found all the the information for this particular voice recorder. I said, the receipt has the date and time stamp on it. He's telling me his boss bought it for him. And I said, it was bought by our house. I said, his boss lives, you know, two hours away. What the hell would he be doing in our neighborhood at seven o'clock at night? And uh, the the counselor just said, well, you know, maybe you do look for uh, these holes in the story. And I said, no. And he got angry and walked out of the counseling session. And I sat there in disbelief thinking that this counselor had to be had to think I was a complete idiot. And why was she siding with him? And why wouldn't she, you know, kind of dive into that a little more mm-hmm. to, to help us. I mean, we're there for help. So I ended up verifying um, that I tried calling his boss. And in the meantime, he had already spoke to his boss and his boss said, oh, yeah, I bought it for him. And I found out months later that, in fact, his boss never bought it for him. He had bought it. He planned on putting it in the truck because he thought I was having an affair. And I didn't find that out till the second time that I left him and he was love bombing me to get me back that he had actually done that and got his boss to lie for him. So be, be, before we get to that, I have a, a couple of questions. Um, uh-huh. Well, pretty much one. Uh, how devastated were you when with the, all this evidence of this one instance here and your therapist doesn't back you with everything in front of your face. Like what happened to you in that moment? And then also like, what were the repercussions after?
afterward of how you thought about yourself and, you know, your mental state? Well, I, first of all, when I was in the session that day and he stormed out and we didn't dive into this incident any further, I mean, we had been seeing this counselor for a while now and I had always, during these sessions, he was good at making, I don't know if he was good at making her believe him necessarily, or if this counselor was just so inept that she would pick his side. Like I felt attacked after counseling sessions because she was not, I didn't feel she was a very good therapist. You know, nothing was resolved and it was always her telling me that I needed to understand. And well, you know, we've talked about this before and you do overanalyze. Like everything was just going back to me over analyzing and I'm thinking to myself, of course I'm analyzing because his stories don't match. So, so when, it, when it, when it comes to him and what, you know, listening to your story, um, is he, is he a very charming guy? He is. Yeah. He it, is. And it sounds like he has an answer for everything and very quickly, like, because you said before he was smooth, but when you told the story there of, of just opening up the glove box, it sounds like instantaneously, like it was a split second. He had a very plausible answer, probably said it very nonchalantly, matter of factly, because he, in his mind, it was like very, like very, very smooth, smooth operator. Absolutely, 100%, because he was. It didn't matter what I said. On a dime, he had an explanation. On a dime. And and I guess hindsight's 2022, he was a salesman, and he did very well at his job. So looking back now, it's like, oh, yeah, I get it. You were dealing with a paid actor. Absolutely. For a a living. So... Yeah. So after that session, um, like I said, I called his boss. His boss confirmed that, no, I bought it for him. Little did I know that when he stormed out of that counseling session and I walked out to the truck that particular night and he was on the phone, he had told me it was his boss and I didn't even clue in until the next day when I talked to his boss and his boss said, oh yeah, I bought it for him. Then it was like, that's why he was on the phone with his boss. He was figuring out his story. So a couple days goes by, and as I said, he had given me that ring uh, when we had split. A couple days goes by, and I am going to the dentist. So I come home after work, and I'm going to the dentist, and the ring that he had given me, we were in the process of doing some renovations around our house, The ring he had given me was on top of the windowsill, right by the kitchen sink. Walk in the house. I'm about to walk out the door for work. I fill up my water bottle at the kitchen sink. Look up. See my ring there. Everything's fine. I had gone to the dentist and I had made arrangements with my girlfriend after to go out for her birthday because it was her birthday. I was just going to go and have a drink and then I was going to go home. And as I'm on my way to the dentist, my... Uh, Nark calls me and he says, hey, what are you doing? I'm on my way home. I can take you to your dentist appointment. And I said, well, it's just a cleaning. I said, I don't need you to take me. I said, I'll be fine. I'll go to my cleaning. And then I said, besides that, I was going to go for drinks with my friend tonight because it's her birthday. And he says, 
oh, well, I just rushed out of a great big meeting to get home to spend some time with you, but whatever. And I said, well, you knew last night that I was going for drinks. And I said, and you had this great big meeting that you told me would take you all afternoon. Like, I'm just going to go for a drink after my appointment and I'll be home. And he got angry with me and he said, no, he goes, if you come home, we're going to be fighting. And I was like, what? Why? Well, because you just go out and have fun with your friends and like trying to guilt me now to go because first he was trying to guilt me to not go. Then when I said, okay, I won't go. Now he's guilting me again to go. So I ended up finishing my dentist appointment. I went home, put my stuff down, and I said, oh, I said, so what are we going to do? And he's like, nothing. He goes, I told you if you got home, or if you came home instead of going for a drink, we were going to fight. And I'm like, okay, but you told me that you were coming home from work to spend time. Like, what do you want? You're giving me push-pull here. I don't know what to do. So we got into an argument, and then the following morning, I woke up, and went out to the kitchen to go make coffee. And when I went to go fill up the coffee pot with water, I noticed that my ring was gone. And I said to him, I said, did you see my ring? And he looks at me and he's like, your ring, what are you talking about? I said, my ring. I said, it was on the windowsill. He's like, I've told you for months you were going to lose that ring if you didn't put it on. I said, no, actually, I said, that ring's been off for a couple of weeks while we were ripping out flooring and doing these house renos. I said, why am I going to wear it when I'm doing that stuff? And then he says, oh, well, maybe my daughter knocked it off when she was doing dishes. And where the windowsill was in the sink and the type of sink it was, it was just, there was no way that that would have happened and it would have just bounced or it, it would have been gone. So, of course, that started the fight first thing in the morning, and I was so angry that I just got in my truck and left. And because we had that tracking app on my phone, I was watching like a hawk to see when he left the house so that I could go back home because I just didn't even want to be around him. That particular day, I had a breakdown. I was bawling. Um, I just I couldn't deal with it anymore because I was questioning everything. So I told him that I was leaving. And I, he said, you have nowhere to go. Where are you going to go? I grabbed some sleeping bags and I said, I don't care. I don't care. I said, I'll sleep in my car. Like, I don't have anywhere. I won't go to a shelter. I don't have the money to get a place. So I grabbed some blankets and I left and it was wintertime. And I literally sat in my car for eight hours that night and I bawled and I bawled and I bawled. And all I could think is I just want the pain to stop. I just want it to stop and I don't know how to make it stop and I, I'm too scared to leave him and I can't leave him because I'm trapped. And I ended up, because he was blowing up my phone that day, I ended up finally answering and I said, I'm driving myself to the hospital. And he said, what hospital? I said, don't worry about it. I'm not your problem. And then I finally told him the the hospital I was taking myself to and he met me there and I walked into emergency and the room was filled with people and I had been bawling for eight hours. I felt crazy in that moment and all these people were sitting there so I walked out and he took me home that night and he says to me, you know, he goes, I 
think you need to go to the doctor and go on some antidepressants. He goes, I really think it would help you. So sure enough, I ended up going on antidepressants. He came with me to the doctor and said, you know, she's just not quite herself. She's really down and depressed lately, and I think she needs some help. And the doctor prescribed me antidepressants, and I was on them. So besides your... I apologize for interrupting, but besides your therapist from before, are you telling anyone what's happening, uh, what's going on? And if so, like, are you getting advice from friends or anything along those lines? I am. I had told a few of my closest friends, um, you know, like he threw hot coffee at me and they're like, that's abusive. You know, like, what are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, he didn't hit me. But if he ever hits me, I will leave. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had, um, I think a lot of people, because looking back, telling my story, I'm like, like, it gets 10 times worse than this. And I mean, looking back, I can't believe the stuff that happened, you know? So I think a lot of the people that I told were just like, wow, that's crazy. Wow, that's crazy. You know, nobody was, there was only two people that were like, that's abusive. Get the hell out of there. <laughs> you know? Because yeah, um, right now, at this point of the story, you're being gaslit to another degree. The projection that is occurring on probably what is going on on his end is being put on you. Um, you're being devalued in uh, every way. And then when you had this one opportunity of a professional, not anybody you knew that could have taken your side and maybe changed the direction of everything, that person failed you. And you are now uh if you weren't hadn't gone crazy you are to the point where you're completely in his control and you think you're the problem maybe Is absolutely it, and and now absolutely. and now doctors are giving you antidepressants and you fully now feel like you're not like now you are crazy because you've been made crazy and now you're being put on pills, which you don't. The only reason you need the pills is because of him. Um, and you are non-functional, but functional. Yeah. I, uh, I really like emotionally and mentally, I was becoming very, very drained Um, and then this therapist who always seemed to pick his side and then I'm seeing her by myself sometimes and all it basically was, she never gave me any coping mechanisms. Basically all it worked out to be was I would go in for my hour long session and I'd vent and I'd vent about, you know, the events that had happened, but because, because the abuse was happening to the extent that it was, that it was daily, by the time it was a week or two in between visits, so much had happened that I could only focus on the events that had happened the day before because you only get an hour, you know? And I kind of started to feel like the therapist really, really liked him. So she she was kind of 
bias to what I was saying. And, and it didn't help when, when I ended up going on antidepressants, I mean, I was like, okay, well maybe it'll help, you know, maybe it'll give me some clarity and stuff like that. Not even realizing that I was being gaslit, that I was being abused because I, I have always, I guess, not trust my intuition. So when, you know, with the voice recorder, with the ring, it was like, okay, well, maybe he is telling the truth. But then when his boss confirmed it, it was like still something inside of me was like, no, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. But I had no proof to verify it. So therefore it was like, well, I have to go with that, you know? And again, with the ring, with that voice recorder, it wasn't until the second time that we had split up that he actually confessed to me that, yeah, he did in fact take the ring. And I said to him when he actually told that the second time we put up, I looked at him and I said, do you realize how crazy you made me think I was? I thought I was losing my damn mind. Like, that's how insane you are making me. So I didn't. I didn't, I, I had nobody, I felt, at that time, well, right? I, I, I mean, I, one last question before you continue is uh, about your kids. Like, do they know what's going on, and where are they during this whole thing? So they're with my ex-husband during this time. They, they are not with me a whole lot because they're, you know, mid-teenagers, they're hanging around with their friends and stuff a lot more. They're kind of doing their own thing, growing away from mom and dad in general. Um, but the times that they did come, you know, like even going back to the red flags, I mean, the very first time that my kids met him, we went out with my two kids and his daughter, and he raised the scene in the restaurant, and even my kids were embarrassed by it. He berated the waitress because of the food he was served. I mean, I was embarrassed. My kids were embarrassed. His daughter was embarrassed. You know, like those are the things that you just don't think of really. Mm -hmm. So they didn't, didn't see a lot of what I was going through. I mean, they, they could sense when they would come that things weren't good between him and I, or we had been fighting. His daughter was with us you know, a week, a month at that particular time. So she saw a lot more of it. Um, but again, he started to in, instill those, I guess, maybe seeds of doubt with her, you know, like by saying, oh, Hitler and the redheaded devil, you know. So how much respect did she actually have for me when dad is doing that kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. So... As time progressed, I was on these antidepressants, and then now we're in the process of selling his his place. He wants to purchase a new place. So we're in the process of dealing with the realtor, and the realtor is giving us tips, you know, for staging our place and renovating it, like what we need to do kind of thing. And I'm the brains behind all of this, right? I'm like the designer. I'm the paint color coordinator. I'm all of this. And I mean, I'm not working full time, but I'm still working. And I'm up at five o'clock every morning and like go to work. And then I come home and I'm up till 11 o'clock at night. And I'm a little more particular on the way the house is than he is, you know, like 
cleaning things and stuff like that. So tensions were really high. And we got into this argument one day. And I mean, for both of us, it was just a high high stress time. So tensions are high between the both of us and we're arguing. And I had, because by this point now, some, some of my belongings are actually in his house, but not everything, you know, like my little trinkets, stuff like that, decorating items. So we're arguing and he gets angry with me. He's calling me, you know, names. He's calling me the C word, telling me I'm crazy. And he goes down into our bedroom and we had two windows in our bedroom on each side of our bed. He goes down into our bedroom. He closes both the curtains in the room. And then as he's in there, he says something and I turn and I looked at him and I'm like, what did you just say? And then I snapped because he called me the C word. So I got angry and I started yelling at him and he came down back into the room and he grabbed me and he pinned me against the wall by my throat and said he just wanted to punch me in the face. And then he let me go and I I just shrunk to the floor. I just sat there in disbelief that that had just happened and I was crying and it was so darn cold out that day and I we had a veranda in the front and I grabbed a blanket, put on my jacket and I went and I sat on that front deck and I sat there for a long time and I just was like, this is my life. This is my, like, I said if he, he ever put his hands on me that I'd leave him. What am I doing? So... I mean, renovations, I was on antidepressants now, stress was high. He just pinned me against the wall by my throat. I'm feeling more and more alone and more and more small in the world. And I ended up, I was so exhausted. And I mean, this particular night, it must have been about minus 25 out. So I'm sitting out there and I actually started to fall asleep out on the deck. I just was shriveled in the corner with this blanket and I had been crying and I just was like crying to myself, please help me, please help me, please help me get away from him. Why am I doing this? And he eventually came out there and grabbed me and brought me in the house and said, you're not sleeping out there. And he undressed me and brought me into bed and I was exhausted. And I I am... (laughs) If you knew me, I fall asleep at the drop of the hat and I am like a rock when I sleep. Nobody wakes me up. And uh, I woke up the next morning and I felt very wet on my lower half. And I was like, what the heck? You know, like I wasn't sure if I maybe peed or if maybe my cycle had come or what. And... He informs me that he had sex with me that night while I was sleeping. And I looked at him and I said, what? He's like, yeah. He goes, I thought it would be hot. And I looked at him and I'm like, is that your thing? That's a fetish for you? Like, who does that? I was sleeping. I was mentally and physically exhausted and obviously comatose. What are, you know, so we're driving up to the store that next day and he says 
well, I'll take you to your favorite store and buy you something because I feel really bad for what I did to you last night. And I looked at him and I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, I feel bad for putting you against the wall by your throat. And I said, and you think that buying me things is going to fix it? What is wrong with you? Like, that doesn't fix it. That doesn't make it go away. You still did it. I know, but I feel really bad and I don't know how to make it up to you. I said, how about you won't ever do that again and you're going to go and be a better man? And, um, yeah, that was the very first time that he actually had gotten physical with me. So this is like three years into the relationship that he actually got physical, physical. And, uh, and then I said to him, I said, how could you do that to me? Like you pin me against the wall by my throat. So you're physically doing that to me. And then you're going to sexually violate me. That's not normal. And he couldn't justify it. He just justified it with it. It was something he thought would be hot or sexy or whatever the case was. And so fast forward, we get into our new house and um, things seem to be rocky because we're still under stress. Now he's got two mortgages to pay. The house we bought was a foreclosure. So now there's lots of rentals that we're doing there. I'm not happy at this point. At this point, I've started seeing another therapist who is understanding and kind of coaching me on, okay, when this happens, you need to breathe, you know, tap your fingers. She's trying to give me pointers because I need to leave but I need to mentally be prepared to leave too. So we're preparing myself to leave and to cope while I'm there. So things just kind of got carried on further and further and started getting more and more, I'm not going to say physically aggressive, but he started calling me names all the time now, the insults, the names, and then the love bombing phase that, you know, he made good money. So we went out lots for dinner, but backhanded comments like, oh, your ex-husband never bought you new appliances. Isn't it nice to have new appliances? And isn't it nice to have all this stuff? And things like that just started really perpetuating. And uh, we got into an argument one day when my daughter was there and he came out in the garage and he looked at me and he said, I just want to. And I looked at him and I said, are you kidding me? My daughter is here. And he goes, she's in the house. She probably didn't hear nothing. And I said, I don't care. Packed up my daughter, took her home. And then I think it was the next day or a couple days later when he was at work, I packed up all my stuff as fast as I could, everything. And I was leaving. I was leaving. I was not telling him. I knew I needed to get away from him. And he wouldn't know where I was. I would tell him that I was going to a woman's shelter. Turns out I ended up going to my girlfriend's house in a community that was half an hour away from where him and I lived. And he didn't know when I had warned some of my friends on my Facebook, like, if he reaches out to you, please do not tell him where I am. Because he had gone to the extent of creating fake profiles on Facebook to follow me. He... Um, when I had gotten to the point that I was feeling really insecure, like he was acting really squirrely and stuff, I started going through his phone at night when he was sleeping. And I'm not exaggerating when I say 
like if you go to your Facebook activity log, you can see what you search for and the times you search for it. It was like 8.09 a.m. he'd search for me, 8.15 a.m. he'd search for me, 8.30 a.m. he'd search for me on Facebook. So not only does he have my tracking app, but now he's searching me like a madman on Facebook, creating fake profiles to see if I would add him as a friend, if I would chit-chat with him to see if I had him blocked under his own personal name, but everybody else could see my stuff. So it just was over-the-top crazy-making. And before we continue here, uh, can you kind of just describe maybe what the steps you and your therapist uh, went through to support you in leaving? Like leading up to leaving, was there like a, like a few different things that you, you did before uh, to make sure that you so, left safely? So financially, I needed I needed to be prepared a little bit. I mean, I had no idea where I was going because I couldn't afford to get a place on my own. There's no way I could afford even a one-bedroom apartment. Um, so I, she said, make sure you have, you know, your um, belongings, like a change of clothes, your essential things like a toothbrush, deodorant, your makeup for work, maybe a change of clothes for work. Make sure you have any extra keys for your vehicle ready to go. Make sure you have any important documents ready to go. Here's some contact numbers for the police. You know, have those on hand. She gave me some information for some women's shelters to contact because they offer therapy sometimes. If that's where I ended up being, then, you know, I could call the women's shelter if I had nowhere to go, stuff like that. So I was talking to my girlfriend and I just said, I need to leave. I said, I can't do this. I said, he's making me crazy. He's Because again, I got to the point where I was feeling suicidal. Like if I'm losing him, I'm suicidal. If I stay, I'm suicidal. There's no escaping. So my girlfriend said, you're more than welcome to come and stay here. And don't worry, I'll block him myself on Facebook so he can't creep me and get in touch with me. I had a few other girlfriends say the same thing. So I left when he was at work. And I didn't tell him that I was leaving. I just did. And that, so that was in July, two years ago. And during that time, I stayed away from him. I didn't reach out to him. He ended up coming to a, a place where I was, where there would be lots of people. And those people that I was surrounded with were telling him, like, you need to leave here now. We don't want you here. She doesn't want you here. You need to leave. He called me 375 times in one day. And I was too afraid to go to the police because of his connections in the world. He knew some not so great people and I was afraid. So 375 phone calls and I didn't block him. I just let it go to voicemail or I'd hit ignore or whatever. I got email after email from him. Then one day my ex texted me and said, hey, I think I'm outside your place. I'm not sure if I'm outside of your place or if it's a customer of yours, but please don't make me come to the door. And I slowly opened up my curtains and in the living room, and sure enough, he was sitting outside in his vehicle. And I panicked. I My heart started to race. I felt like I was going to be sick. I didn't know what to do. And I called him and I said, what the hell are you doing here? 
and he said, I've taken two days off work. I've drove up and down every street in this community until I found your vehicle. He's like, I miss you. I love you. I'm sorry. I know now that I've made a mistake and I can't live without you. I want you back. And I, of course, fought it for a little bit and contact remained little bits here and there. You know, he was so understanding of what he had done and love bombed me and love bombed me and love bombed me. And I went back. And this time it was, it was different. Um, I moved, I had actually decided in the meantime, before I went back to him to get my own place in that same community, my girlfriend lived and he loved bombed me by helping me out financially pay my rent because he knew I was struggling and knew I wouldn't be able to do it on my own. He put cable in his name for me. And I said, if we do this, we're going to go slow. I'm not moving back in right away. And he said, no, no, I understand. I understand. Sure, we can take it slow. And it turned out that from August till November, I had my own place in a different community. But I was spending every night at his place. And we were doing things together. We were doing woodwork. We were spending time doing sports things together, you know, spending time renovating his house with all the rentals that needed to be done. And I was designing and planning all the color coordinating stuff I did, you know, and it was, I mean, it was my, my dream home. It was beautiful and I loved it and I enjoyed it because it was us building a future together. And finally, Finally, things had changed because he started going to, um, it's a group for men who are court ordered to be there because they have assault charges or uh, restraining orders from their spouse. They've been violent, you know, so these 99% of these men are court ordered to be there and he was going to that therapy and I was like, wow this is it. Like he's actually in therapy now and this is the best kind of therapy and it was good. And then October 25th, October 26th, he proposed to me, he gave me a $10,000 engagement ring and proposed to me at a really fancy restaurant in front of everybody and during the time that we were kind of courting back and forth on this separation, he had told me, you know, I was going to propose to you at an MLB game and, you know, I love you and we need to plan date nights and stuff like that. And we did. We did all of that. And then he proposed to me and things were back and forth. They were a little sketchy. You know, we'd have our arguments and stuff. And now this was already a year and a half after I had started taking antidepressants. And when I went back to him, he said, I'd like you to go off your antidepressants. They've changed you too much. He goes, I don't like the way that you are on them. And I said, okay. I said, well, I've slowly been trying to wean myself off of them anyway, because being away from him, I didn't need them. I was good. I mean, I was still emotionally not good, but I wasn't having the crazy making. And so 
later I found out that it was because of his ex-girlfriend. His ex-girlfriend was actually on the same antidepressants and had committed suicide, and he claimed that he was worried that I would commit suicide on them. And so November, uh, he had moved the last of my stuff back into his house, and uh, he had a therapy session that night, and he had been busy during the day and I had told him during this course that if we got back together I wasn't moving anything of mine again I had already packed my life up four times since being with him I wasn't moving another thing of mine if he wanted me back in his home he would have to do it I would go back and clean my place so he went down to pick up the last of my stuff and we got into a hell of an argument that night he told me because when he got home I was cleaning the house and I said I'm not going with you I'm trying to clean the house we've got people coming, contractors coming, I'm busy, and he told me that I'm a selfish bitch and I do nothing for nobody in that house, it's all about me, I help nobody out, and how ignorant could I be, I couldn't even make his daughter dinner. Now, bear in mind, his daughter is almost 14 years old, so I, I mean, she could have fended for herself that particular night, and if he would have asked, I would have prepared something, but I was busy, I didn't you know, and um, so the next night, things are fine. He's got to take his daughter to a sporting event, and he says to me, well, i got to go grocery shopping. Do you want to come? And I said, okay. I said, are you sure it's okay? Like, tensions are still high between us. I don't want to provoke anything. No, I want you to come grocery shopping with me. So we went grocery shopping, and he was driving my vehicle, went grocery shopping and just before we went in the store I could sense the way that he was standing you know like kind of scowling at me like he was the dad and I was just this bad little girl because he was still so angry at me from the night before I said can I have the keys to my car I said I just think I'm gonna go sit in my car right now and he's like no no he wouldn't give me the keys to my car so I went back out to the car and I thought that maybe he would have unlocked it for me and he didn't so I went back into the grocery store and I said you know walked up to him and I said can I have the keys to my car please I don't want to be in here with you right now and he he starts walking away from me and he hollers across the grocery store if you then you can go sit in the car by yourself I'm not helping you so I went back to the car, the car was locked, and I started walking away, and we had that tracking app. So the minute I started walking, he could see. So he must have saw that I was walking, and he pulled up behind me in my car and cut me off in the parking lot. Get in the car. I said, I'm not getting in the car. Get in the car now. No. So I tried walking again, and he ran the mirror on the passenger side door into my arm and cut me off again. And then he put the car in park and jumped out opened up the door, grabbed me, threw me in my car, slammed the door so hard that the passenger side mirror folded in. And we're driving back home through residential areas, and we went through a school zone, and he was driving quite fast. And I said, why are you going so fast in the school zone? Slow down, please. Don't tell me how to drive. I've been driving a long time. You make it seem like I don't respect your vehicle. I said, this is my vehicle. I make the payments. Slow down, please. So he's doing about 70 through this one area in our town. And I said to him, I said, slow down or I'm going to jump. And he said, I'm not slowing down. I said, I'll open up the door and I'll jump then. So I open up the door and instead of slowing down, he actually picks up the speed. 
So I close the door because I'm thinking it's wintertime. If I jump out, I'm going to fall. I'm going to get hurt. Something's going to happen. And I close the door and he looks at me and he starts laughing. And he just had this look in his eyes and he looks at me. He goes, I knew you didn't have the balls to jump. And I just napped. I started screaming at him. I'm like, why are you being so ignorant to me? Freaking out on him. Half a block away, he opens up the passenger side door on on the street. Like I said, it's winter. It's snowy, icy. Opens up the door half a block away, grabs me, pushes me out into the middle of the road, drives away from me with the passenger side door open. And when he drove away, like I was spitting with my back on that passenger side door. He didn't know where my legs were. So as I'm sitting there in the middle of the street, I look up and there's two vehicles that are passing me and it's so cold that night and I am bawling and I'm walking home and I just said, okay, you need to leave. Your counselor is like, right, you need to leave sooner rather than later. What kind of a man does that? And in my head, I'm thinking he could have ran me over. I could have had a concussion. Like, you don't just do that to somebody. So I walk in the house and I'm sitting down in the garage and he comes downstairs and he's like, yeah, I know what I did was physically abusive. I know that, but you need to think of the part that you played in that. And I looked at him and I said, I tried to get you to leave me alone three times, three times. I begged for you to leave me alone. You're driving my vehicle. You're like, why? So then he tries giving me a hug, and at this point, my body is sore from being thrown out of my vehicle, and I'm I'm just sitting there, and my body is shaking, and I'm, you know, kind of holding myself, and he looks at me, and he goes, why are you crying? And I looked at him, and I said, what do you mean, why am I crying? I said, because the person that proposed to me three weeks ago threw me out of my vehicle and left me on the side of the road. So... That was fine. He smoothed it over by running me a bath, running me candles, saying how horrible he felt for it. And then, you know, a couple days later, we're laying in bed, and I just said to him, I said, do you ever think about what could have happened that night? Like, you could have killed me. And he looks at me, and he goes, yeah. He goes, of course I've thought about it. He goes, if anything would have happened that night, it would have been an accidental homicide. I went to my counselor and I told her and she looked at me and she goes, he's a sadist. You need to leave because he's going to kill you. And then I stayed for a bit and then New Year's Eve, we got into a fight and I slept in the spare room. And then the next morning he woke up and said, we're done. You knew sleeping in the spare room would cause this. Get out of my house. I want you out. And then the next three weeks was where the hell actually really started for me. Three weeks I had to stay at his place till I got financially prepared to move out till I found a place and I stayed in the spare room for three weeks. I literally would get up at five o'clock in the morning, leave his house. I would go to work and I'd come home and I would sit in that spare room from one o'clock in the afternoon till I fell asleep. Uh, That was January 1st. We broke up and I literally didn't eat anything. I lived on coffee and cigarettes for the next three weeks. I didn't eat nothing for three weeks. I had lost weight incredibly fast. 
I was stressed out because I would go to work every day and I would come, like when I was at work, I'd get emails and text messages. I hate you. You're a bitch. Get out of my house. I want nothing to do with you. And then I would go home and he'd be like, I don't understand why you just don't cuddle in our bed with me. Maybe we can get back what we've lost. Like I'm trying and you're just not taking the opportunity. And for three weeks, that was my life. And he called the cops on me twice, uh, had me taken in for a psychiatric assessment. And it, I, I can't explain, I don't even know when I first moved out. So I moved out January 18th for probably the first two months. I don't recall those two months that I was on my own. It was it was a fog. I started drinking a lot more to try and deal with it, but I literally would just go to work and I'd come home and I'd listen and I'd read and I'd do all the research I possibly could on narcissism and abuse and I am so certain that there's another underlying condition in him like maybe bipolar or something like that because it just, the hot and the cold seemed so much more than the typical narcissism and uh, I've been out now for eight months well almost nine months and he still you know reaches out to me every once in a while I mean he hasn't gone crazy and called me 375 times but he's seen my vehicle somewhere and then he's messaging me and saying oh I see you're in the area or oh I see your vehicle was over here tonight or you know um and and again, we go back to the I love you, the I miss you, and then the next text is very, very mean, or the next message is very, very mean. He has smeared, done the smear campaign on me now. He's met a few people who know of me but don't know me personally and said, yeah, she was so abusive. I ended up in this um, group for abused men instead of abusive men. I ended up in this group for abused men and, you know, she's reaching out to me and she's begging for me to come back and I paid for everything and I did everything for her and she's an alcoholic and, you know, so it's so much better now that I'm out, but still even nine months later, there's things and I'm like, holy crap, that was my life. Why, why was that? there you know like how did I how did I let that happen so with your therapist I don't know if you're still going to your therapist or uh, or not but um, wh- I guess what has been your healing process where are you uh, in it uh, do you still have like a trauma bond a, like a little bit that might be still attached uh, to you because you haven't blocked him on anything yet or have you um i haven't blocked him as far as my healing process i i have had a couple people like my therapist i don't go to right now um i was going to her shortly after i left i think that i somewhat hit a depression and i just really i just got dove right into researching narcissism, everything and anything. Um, I found a couple support groups on Facebook that have been good because 
not so much for the support, but just to read the posts and be like, wow, I'm not the only one who went through that, you know? Um, I, I mean, podcasts are great. You know, one thing that my counselor said to me before I left, she said, you need to start seeing him for who he is and what he's done to you. So prior to him breaking up with me this time, I had started doing that. And I noticed that the pity and the sadness that I felt for him in his childhood had turned to like a rage and an anger for the hell that he was putting me through because, well, everybody can have an awful childhood. It doesn't give you the right to be so awful to somebody else. And so that helped me put it into perspective. The other thing that I had done was I had started journaling quite a bit, any particular instances that had happened so that when my mind had calmed down or our argument had it will calm down that I could look back and read through it to see like, okay, was I actually being out of line or was this just, was I just gaslit? And that helped. That helped a lot because there was lots of things that I had written down pages upon pages. I mean, some days I'd have 20 pages of writing and it, it really did help. But The thing is, is that if there's anybody out there in this kind of a relationship and they're journaling like that, they need to keep it under lock and key because he was famous for grabbing my journal and reading it. And then when we would be arguing, he would bring things up that I had written in my journal Mm -hmm. to me. So it's, I think too, that maybe, I mean, there's a little bit of information on Stockholm syndrome and stuff like that. And I don't know. If I suffer from that, it's really hard to know all the things that you suffer from until you start to live your life again. Like if I'm driving down the street and I see his vehicle even, or see a vehicle that looks like his, even nine months later, I can feel my heart race. You know, I slept the very first two months, three months that I left, I slept with a baseball bat beside my bed and a butcher knife under my pillow because I was scared because he he had shown so many times that he had little regard for, for boundaries and for people. I mean, this is somebody that openly admitted to me that he had a guy that worked underneath of him at work who he became best friends with. And he was purchasing his best friend hockey tickets so that he could get time to sleep with his wife. (laughs) I'm happy you're out. Because as your therapist said, I mean, you were dealing with a loose cannon. You didn't know what was could come. They, with It seems like with him um, capable of anything with, with whatever circumstances might be there. And if he's too out of control, who knows what's going to happen. Um, yeah. So, so I'm happy uh, you're out. And as far as, you know, maybe the deval- devaluation that occurred within the relationship... How do you feel about yourself and um, what are things like you're working on that are, uh, I guess, things that, um, I know, some boundaries, I guess, that it fell, like, how are you trying to work on, uh, like, I guess, correcting uh, those issues or whatever he used against you? So... During, during the course of this relationship, there was a lot of 
devaluing that happened and in ways that I wasn't even necessarily aware of. Um, and, and maybe not, you know, like he always told me that he had a hard time with, if he was angry, he needed time to cool down. Like it could take him a couple days. Um, things like when my grandma died or my aunt died, he was the coldest of cold that I had ever seen or heard of anybody. When my aunt passed away, he said to me when I took, it was the night that she before she had passed away, I took the day off work and he looked at me and he said, what are you going to do? Sit at home and dwell about your dying aunt all night? Like, who cares? That's life. And, you know, so that kind of devalued me a little bit. It was like, okay, maybe I'm not like, well, I don't know. Maybe I am overreacting kind of thing. So when I left, I found words of affirmation and quotes that meant a lot to me and I wrote them on my bathroom mirror so I would see them every single day I mean right at the top of the mirror in my bathroom I have make today your bitch you know because I knew that financially it was going to be hard stuff like that I mean he had told me that I would never find anybody nobody would love me as good as he would um you know even my own kids hated me I couldn't make it work with my ex-husband financially. I was dependent on him. He, I swear, he put a curse on me that sexually I'd be confused for the rest of my life, things like that. So I just started really reading those things every single day. And it was like, no, you know what? I am worth it. What he did to me is not normal. And I think that listening to podcasts like yours, listening to other podcasts, um, you know, finding those support groups on Facebook and realizing that I'm not the only one who did this or who's gone through this, it helps me realize that I am worth so much more. I... It's hard when you're in it because you you feel trapped. If you go, you feel like you're going to be alone forever because they've worked so hard to convince you of that. But deep down inside, I know who I am. I know that I'm a good person. I have a good heart. That My job every day requires me to be a good person because of the line of work that I'm in. I'm a very giving person. I would give the shirt off my own back, you know, and I... I mean, even just with him, the good things that I would do, he would make me feel guilty for, you know, like a silent auction for somebody who lost a family member. I was getting items ready. I was building items for it. That was a big deal to him that I didn't include him, but that's not who he is. He doesn't have the heart that I have. So the probably the hardest part throughout all of this has been because he has a daughter and because I was a part of his daughter's life for four years and because I know that she did did love me, you know, being in her life. I mean, there's things, there's a connection with girls that just is there and there's a connection with just boys that's there. So that's been the hardest part because she doesn't understand that her dad is this... Uh, in all honesty, I feel a monster. She doesn't understand that her dad is this monster and that's why I can't be a part of her life. But in order for me to remain in contact with her, it means that I'm putting myself at risk all the time at being love bombed and hoovered back into his craziness. So my counselor said, you need to, you need to do things to, 
to bring value to yourself if that means you have to volunteer your time, you know. And I've always been the type of person that has a really hard time just sitting still. Like, I like to be busy all the time. And when I first left, I went from a 3,600-square-foot home that I was doing renovations in and cleaning and maintaining and yard work and everything to a two-bedroom apartment and it being just me. And so that gave me some stillness, I think, in my life that I hadn't had before. Mm -hmm. It's good because it let me reflect and actually just sit in my pain for a bit, you know, and I don't, I don't talk about it anymore like I used to because this consumed me with every one of my friends. Every conversation turned into this and it doesn't consume me anymore. I see people now and I talk about it like not I talk about everything else I don't bring this up it's like hey how are you how are you doing how's this virus treating you you know are you working and it's just and so it's peaceful now my life is peaceful so before we end off the show you brought a poem to read so I'm just going to uh, get out of your way and let you read the poem It's called Unstoppable, and it's by John Mark. He tried to cage you and contain you, drain you of your worth, beat you down to nothing with relentless fists of words. He tried to control and desole you, but you are resilient. Bamboo to a storm, bending but not breaking, now taking back your true form. Courage building like a tsunami, ready to lay waste to his city of empty promises. You will rise above his shallow ruins like the moon in all her fullness, free and beautiful, so luminous. His hungry night tried to devour you, but you made your own light, which darkness could not swallow. He is hollow and aimless, but you carry life hidden within a seedling growing skyward toward the sun of better things. His heart is salted earth, his body a walking mausoleum. He loves control and fears freedom, mistaking intimidation for true power and captivity for devotion. Devoid of emotion, he is dead inside, and he wanted to bury you within him in a graveyard of lies. But you will rise, you will shine, you will. You are so much more powerful than him. This just speaks to the volume of how I feel, like how as victims we lose ourselves when we're with these people and how they control us and how 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 much we really lose ourselves being with these people eight almost nine months free of this person and I thought with them I was gonna die and I feel like without them I was gonna die and there were some pretty dark days during this nine month period but I'll tell ya I'm glad that I fought every single day. Every single day I'd wake up and it was craziness. I don't know how I made it through, but I did. And we have to keep fighting because these people are everywhere. So before uh, we end off this episode, Brenda, what 
are your words of wisdom for everyone else out there? My words for everyone else would be, number one, you need to trust your intuition because your intuition is the only thing that you have when you end up in a situation like this. Uh, when you, when, when you feel like someone is making you question your reality, it's hard to talk to friends. So your intuition is what will always be there. And people, when you're in this type of situation and you're explaining the things that you've been to been through with people, they're going to probably doubt it because some of the things that us who have been in these situations have experienced are crazy. I mean, it's not every day you end up with, um, you know, video cameras in your house or a voice recorder or, you know, so, and, and you have to be understanding of that too, because they can't comprehend what you're going through and, and know that you are enough and that there is somebody out there. And even if, even if you leave and you don't find somebody for five years, it's better than being with somebody and feeling like you're going crazy because you shouldn't ever feel suicidal when you're with someone. Well, Brenda, I really want to thank you for coming on the show today and sharing your story. You did a really good job of telling your story. So I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, for, for being here. Thank you very much for your show. I hope it helps a lot of people and I hope that a lot of people, you know, start finding your podcast and can, can learn and live healthier, better lives. Well, thank you. And for everyone else out there who is listening, I hope you have a good night. <laughs>